And I think one of the things that I want to take the opportunity to say directly to exhibition is really that we start focusing on frequency as much as we focus on an incremental spend. It's really important as an industry that we get young people back in the habit of going to the movies. And once you establish a habit, it's easier to keep a customer than to try and acquire one. And I think we took the eye off the ball that we started focusing on the older customer and getting them to spend more. And I think we lost sight of the younger customer and just getting them in the habit of coming often. This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Daniel Luria, the editorial director of Box Office Pro, the pulse of theatrical exhibition. Here once again with our co-host, the deputy editor of Box Office Pro, Rebecca Pauly. And in this week's episode, our feature segment will feature an exclusive interview with co-founder and CEO of MoviePass, Stacy Spikes, talking about his new book and a return to his old company. That's right, the return of MoviePass. Every question that exhibitors can have about the subscription platform, we will be covering that shortly in our feature segment. But before we get there, Rebecca, welcome back. Last day of January behind us finally. It's February, the month of love. Do you have Valentine's Day plans with your boyfriend? We actually do have plans to go see a movie. Uh, hopefully, actually, two movies around Valentine's Day. One of them on Valentine's Day, Audition, mm. a very romantic movie in which... Takashi Miike, Japanese. Yeah. When was this, 2003-ish around Ish. there? Yeah. I mean, it's like if you love someone, you cut off their limbs and you put them in a burlap sack. Uh, that was my pick, and Eric really wants to go out and see the Titanic re-release, so that's going to be our one-two punch of love and romance this that's February. A really, that's a really good double feature. That's much better than the double features I make my wife, Cindy, sit through. It's usually just David Lynch stuff. <laughs> There's only so much David Lynch that the regular person can mm, stand. Fair, but uh, fair. for us horrible cinephiles, it doesn't matter. All you can eat. Come on. Wild at Heart and uh, Twin Peaks A Return? Why not? Why not? That's a good one. Speaking of film nerds, I know Sundance is kind of wrapping up. You've been doing remote coverage. Have you seen anything good? Have those things gotten uh, theatrical commitments? So we've got good news here because Ooh. the Sundance Streaming Festival, as it's really been known to play in the industry, or a role that's very, very different from the role that Sundance played in the 1990s. It's really been, over the last couple of years, a platform for movies to get bought by streamers and then disappear inside an algorithm. Forgotten about. It's an ecosystem that really has been redefined with the new paradigm of streaming companies trying to lap up as much content, not film, content as they possibly can. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the real films get lost in the middle. The positive news here, Rebecca, this year is that the winner of the U.S. dramatic competition, a title called A Thousand and One is going to be released by Focus Features on March 31st. Rebecca, this was a great, great movie. I really enjoyed it. It's a drama, so it's not the type of movie that Sundance usually comes out with that's a little bit quirky, that maybe coddles its audience a little bit. You really won't find that with A Thousand and One. Uh, great story about uh, mother and son trying to find a way through the foster system here in New York to make a living in Harlem, spanning a number of decades. I really enjoyed it. 
I think that release date is a little bit tricky. March it's a little, 31st. It's a little bit soon. But fortunately, 1001 has the buzz of having won the Tup Award from the U.S. Dramatic Competition at Sundance. That can only help the title. How about yourself, Rebecca? What did you uh, catch at the movies this weekend? I went to the Regal Union Square with my boyfriend to see the Bollywood movie Pathan, which uh, we'll be talking about later. I, I get the sense that a lot of people kind of went and saw this movie who maybe otherwise would not have. Maybe it's the RR effect. I don't know. How about yourself? Did you get the chance to see anything other than depressing Sundance movies? No, no. That's all I've been doing. I've watched like nine movies in seven days. I, I have to go back to the theaters. I'm looking forward here in February to making it out. One of the titles that I really want to see, actually, is another movie that I know you saw midweek, Skinnamary from IFC. Yeah, I really, uh, I really liked this movie, and it really plays into a theme that we've been talking about over this past year and that really fits for January as well, namely horror movies have just been killing it at the box office. Daniel, are you familiar with the story behind Skinnering? No. What's the story behind this? Because I, it was it's a Shutter. It was going to be a Shutter streaming release. Tell me the story. Fill me in here. So, you know, it did well on the festival circuit. People liked it, critically acclaimed. You know, it's getting good buzz. It leaks online. It leaks online on TikTok. I don't know how a movie leaks onto TikTok. I don't really know the details of that so much. But I there's actually, footage of this movie that hasn't been released. The whole movie. Wait, no, it's the whole movie, the not whole footage. Movie. The whole thing on TikTok? On your phone? No. All I know is that TikTok loved it. This movie went viral on TikTok, <laughs> went super, super viral on TikTok. IFC Midnight, which traditionally, I mean, they tend to do streaming, though they sometimes... They skip the line, right? They'll yeah. do some, like, theatrical events, but, but they do a little bit of both. But they picked it up. They're releasing it in theaters. Mm -hmm. And at this point, I think it's made like $1.8 against a $15,000 budget. Oh, wow. It's still going streaming on Shudder on February 2nd. So it will be on Shudder by the time this podcast episode goes out. The press for the theatrical has got to be helping the streaming numbers go up, mm -hmm. vice versa. Certainly the buzz around this release has drawn people to the theaters. And I know IFC has worked with exhibitors to be very flexible in making sure they can put this title at the showtimes that make sense for them, right? They're not locking up a screen. They're not coming in with an absurd commitment. They understand that they have something that is a little bit underground. The best horror movies are yeah. like that, right? It when you watch a horror movie, yeah, or even like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it might not have the same feel, but you know that feeling when you watch something and you feel like you shouldn't be seeing it. Yeah. That's how I feel with the best horror movies. I have that. That's feeling. very much what's you. I think you will like Skin of a Ring because it's like, it is very much that. It is found footage. And yeah, when I was looking up showtimes and theaters at which to see the movie, I was getting frustrated because I'm like, oh, there's like one screening a day. Like it's either at 1030 <laughs> at night or 345 in the afternoon. Then it's like, you know what? If that weren't the case, I would probably not be seeing it in right. theaters. You know, it's in 275 so locations. I saw it on like a Tuesday. And I skipped out on half of work to see this movie on oh, like Tuesday at like 335, 4 p.m. <laughs> Sold out. No. On Tuesday. Mid-afternoon. Mid-afternoon. Off-peak, Tuesday, sold out. That's so important. And the fact that this it's title... It's a huge screen, but, like, still. No, I mean, it's really difficult to sell any screen on a Tuesday afternoon. And this is a movie that's playing in major circuits in a way that I'm not sure would have happened during the VPF era. 
And I think that's a crucial part of what we have to talk about in relation, not only to this IFC release, but also to the movie you saw this weekend, uh, Rebecca Pathan, the film from Yash Raj Films, a Bollywood title that opened in 695 screens, ends up hitting the top five in box office. These are the type of movies that are now finding major circuit screens because the VPFs are no longer a factor, or at least that can get to more screens because the VPFs aren't a factor the way they were five years ago. We're finally turning that corner. It's important to say this was going to happen anyway. The pandemic didn't accelerate this at all. The pandemic interrupted this, if anything. Mm -hmm. We were looking forward to 2020 before being the year of the pandemic to be the year that the VPFs stopped being an issue for major circuits and we got to see more titles. We're seeing that, and these are the type of movies succeeding. Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at the top 10 films of the week that just came out this past week, and like one of them, as you mentioned, Pathan, but that came out on, you know, that wasn't a wide release. It came out on just around 700 screens. Infinity Pool, a horror film from Neon, and then from Fathom Events, Left Behind, an event cinema release. We really are seeing just a variety of different titles from a variety of different genres aimed at a variety of different audiences really go out and fill these screens and in some cases attract people, you know, attract different audiences than they might have otherwise wanted to. I mean, I think this was my second or third Hindi movie that I saw in theaters. It's not like normally yeah. on my radar that much. But it is now. It and is I now. think I think it's not only because of that bump from RRR, as you mentioned. I do think it's the fact that it is becoming more and more accessible for exhibitors to program these titles. We look at the tail end of that top 10 this week, Rebecca. The second weekend of Welgo USA's The Wandering Earth 2, sneaking into the top 10 chart with 1.3 million at only 142 screens, a $9,500 per screen average. Mm -hmm. We're seeing this great overperformance of movies that can get more screens that they would have before the VPFs were no longer an issue. And also part of this conversation is the role that event cinema is playing. We mentioned that great performance from Left Behind, Rise of the Antichrist from Fathom Events, hitting number nine in the weekend box office of last weekend with almost $3 million. But we also had a concert, Billie Eilish live at the O2 from Trafalgar releasing that narrowly missed out on the top 10, but a great $1 million plus weekend from that title. We're getting to a point in this Q1 where I wish we were in Q1 of last year, mm -hmm. right? Where, yeah, you have the big studio blockbuster holding on, doing really great business. But the big difference is that you've got titles that you wouldn't expect to overperform quietly overperforming. Mm -hmm. They don't have to be studio releases, but the marketplace is showing if you give movies that don't come in with an established brand a shot and you have the right theatrical release strategy behind them, being flexible in the terms and ways you work with exhibition, they can do numbers. We're seeing that. I mean, speaking of flexible release strategies, speaking of a quiet earner that isn't so much the bells and whistles, can we talk about A Man Called Otto? Because it, yeah. it came out super, you know, gradually. I think it's been in wide release for, this was its third weekend. I mean, by the time you're listening to this, this movie is like getting within a hair's width of 50 million. Yeah, I mean, almost to 4,000 screens. We're talking about the difficulty of getting a release pattern that goes from platform to wide. We haven't seen 
too many of those examples work lately. I mean, it's the anti-Fablemans. Can we say right? that? No, that's right. <laughs> that's a great way of putting it. I think this movie did what Fablemans was unable to do. Sony Columbia doing a fantastic job with this title, A Man Called Otto, ending up in third place last weekend at the box office, increased its location count. And I'm not sure how much this is going to be slowing down. This title is just earning and playing week after week after week, a word of mouth hit mm -hmm. that doesn't have superheroes in it, that doesn't have horror elements in it. Great to see that diversity in the marketplace. Absolutely. And speaking of diversity in the marketplace, we mentioned it before in terms of international titles. I know we already talked about it, but I have to do a little plug for Pathan here because <laughs> I really, really loved it. It stars Shah Rukh Khan, who I think they call him like King Khan in, in India, he is a huge star, hasn't uh, been the star of a movie in four years or so, I think. So this is really a big comeback for him. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's very Mission Impossible, Fast and Furious franchise, like very up, very fun, hot people jet sitting around to glitzy places in the world. That's why I like going to the movies. Yes. Yeah. I like staring at hot people in cool oh, locations. Oh, you will, you will do that with the fun. And, and it's, <laughs> it's more fun than I think. Like, I like the Mission Impossible movies, but they've gotten a little dour. No, no lately. way. No, strongly disagree. Can Tom Cruise tell a joke? Like, I know he can, but does he anymore? No, no, that's a good point. They're not as funny as they could be. Well, I'm looking forward to checking out this title myself. Yeah. It's a great performance, as we mentioned, cracking the top five. Really fantastic yeah. numbers in a market that doesn't have to bring in huge figures quite yet. We just have to make sure that those periods between big studio tent poles have this diversity of titles, have these expansions. Mm -hmm. We have that. We finally have that. I got to tell you, Rebecca, I'm full of confidence as we get to the next major title on the schedule, which is going to be Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. That's coming out on Valentine's Day weekend while we're watching other movies. I think uh, <laughs> our, our multiplex crowd is going to be enjoying something a little bit more appealing than a Takashi Miike film. A little bit more mainstream, yeah. I'm curious to see once we do get, because as we spoke about in our, I think it was our first episode of the year looking forward to the 2023 slate, summer of this year is really slammed full of movies and I hope that we still get to see some of that counter-programming going on. I really hope so as well. And But you know what? We really don't know until some of these titles come out and get that word of mouth. We need to be able to have distributors that take these risks and are willing to work directly with exhibitors and, to accommodate we, these movies. And we need to have, you know, in our industry and, and in film at large, we need to have a culture of not only looking at opening weekend grosses as yes. a measure of success. Yes, absolutely. Because, I mean, if you look at the top movies, you know, of this past weekend, Avatar's holding great, Megan's holding great. We've already spoken about Otto. Like, the narrative for these films goes beyond their opening weekend. And you were telling me that, like, you took a Peloton class and your Peloton instructor was talking about how they wanted to go see Megan? Yeah, and Megan's been out for, like, what, four, five weeks now? It's great to see movies hit the culture and stay part of a conversation and expand part of the conversation well after opening weekend. I think that's a factor. People take these Peloton classes, thousands mm -hmm. of people here in the U.S., and the fact that a movie that's almost a month old can be exciting, you know, in this context. I'm really, really going into 2023 with a very different mindset that I started 2022. If you remember, I think we were all concerned at this time last year 
of what was going to happen after Spider-Man slowed down, mm -hmm. the answer is not much. If it wasn't for Paramount, let's face it, we would have been screwed in yep. Q1. Maybe really for the year because they really, you know, got I mean, us out of a jam. And pop, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but here, there's a lot of hope. And again, you mentioned Sony Columbia doing really well with that staggered platform release. It's been expanding, expanding for a man called Otto. Yeah, it's been a good run so far. And we'll see if that continues this weekend. We've got two new wide releases coming from Universal and director M. Night Shyamalan knock at the cabin that is expected to open between 19 and 27 million dollars here in the united states and canada and we've also got how should i describe 80 for brady how would you describe 80 for brady rebecca well, yeah i mean it's, it falls in a similar kind of wheelhouse as uh, that movie book club you know for friends of a certain age yeah grand hollywood stars you yeah. know going out on the town and having adventures yeah, sure. And I mean, it's kind of like Detroit Rock City, but of like older women wanting to see NFL football. I mean, I, I guess that's a thing. Don't get me started on trying to make sense on the popularity of Tom Brady or the New England Patriots but at a national level. But the popularity of Jane Fonda. I mean, yeah, depends who you ask. Depends which well, decade it is, true. right? That's but, true. <laughs> but that's coming out here also this weekend from Paramount Pictures. That's expected yeah. to open between twelve and seventeen million. And they're doing something interesting that, that I like. I guess it's Paramount who's doing it because it's across chains. They're really going hard on the preview screenings, but like themed preview screenings. Like uh, I think one day it's like ladies' night out or BFFs night out, and another night it's something else. And it's, you know, quote unquote throwback ticket pricing. I have no idea, you know, what amount that would be. But I mean, we've seen how really, really great the team at Paramount is at marketing and getting people into theaters. I mean, I'm going to remember the damn smile people at those baseball games for a long wonderful. time. It was great. Yeah, it was a really good idea. Really um, ingenious. Yeah, and I mean, I don't, we haven't gotten any numbers as to how ED for Brady has been doing in these previews, hopefully well, but you know, the narrative that, that older people, older women aren't coming back to theaters, well, hopefully it'll be proven false this weekend. That's, that's what we're all rooting for. And it's a story that's not going to be answered by a single weekend at the box office. We have to give these movies time to breathe, time to come out, time to find an audience and develop that word of mouth. Because as we've seen in 2023, yes, blockbusters like Avatar The Way of Water will work at premium prices, but that's not the entire story. Not everything has to be a $20 million opening weekend. There's enough space for all of us. Here. I just hope that when we hit the huge wave of superhero movies, as much as I appreciate them, as much as they keep the lights on in theaters, I... Hope they don't suck all the air out of the room and all the screens out of the movie theaters. Yeah, yeah. And I think that transitions us very well to our feature interview segment that we have today with Stacey Spikes, the CEO and co-founder of MoviePass. And I don't want to keep you guys waiting any longer. We go over all the questions that I think Exhibition is going to have about the universal subscription plan. It's viability in a marketplace that now has Every one of the five major circuits in North America having its own subscription program and many, many other circuits also having their own in-house siloed subscription plan. How is this new MoviePass going to work in that ecosystem? We go over all of that and more coming up after this break.
And we are here on the Box Office Podcast with Stacy Spikes, the founder and CEO of MoviePass, a brand that is probably one of the most immediately recognizable brands when we talk about movie going today. For many right reasons, for some wrong reasons, Stacy, I thought let's probably take this opening part of the conversation to go over everything that happened. Obviously, you found MoviePass beginning of the 2010s, if I'm not mistaken. You work with circuits and pilot programs. You're talking to AMC, what, around 2013, 2014, a pilot program in Denver, in Boston, taking things step by step. Funding comes in from a tech company in, what was it, 2017? What the hell happened? (laughs) (laughs) Daniel, first, thanks for having me. It's good to see you again and be on the podcast. So thank you for that. And great lead up. So yeah, me and my co-founder, Hame Watt, founded the company in 2011. We got funded in 2012. And five years of grinding it out and making things happen and build a brand. And we got a buy offer from a private equity group called the HMMY. And so the board approved to go ahead with the acquisition. And part of the acquisition was they wanted to kind of announce the coming out party and say, we're going to drop the price for a period of time to $10. And when I was CEO, it was $30. And so they said, we want to add another 100000 Maybe it'll take a couple of months. So it was a limited months. time offer so when have, you guys first discussed that price. Limited point, right? time offer. Because as you mentioned, it's a $30 a month Absolutely. product for not a year, years. Years you had established a price yeah. point. A buyout comes, yeah. you're still CEO. They say, hey, we want to get some traction. $10 a month, limited time. What can go wrong, right? Yep. Limited time offer and just announce the marriage and announce the acquisition. So yeah, sure. Let's go ahead. And we hit a hundred thousand new subscribers in less than 48 hours. So I said, turn it off, turn it off now quickly. And they said, look how fast we're growing. Isn't this exciting? And I said, you can't make money at $10 a month when you're allowing people to go to the movies every day. And they said, no, 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 we got this. We know what we're doing. So roll ahead a few months. It's climbing at around a quarter of a million new subs every month. And we're coming up on December and we're having these really contentious board meetings. And I said, guys, we have to turn this off. And over the holidays, you know, they thought about it and they sent me an email the first week of January and said, thank you, your services are no longer needed. So I got fired and uh, got kicked off the board of my own company. That began the next chapter. And we kind of all know, if, if you don't know, the tale of the Hindenburg then comes in where they got up to around 3 million subscribers and were losing a ton of money on everything and went out of business. A year, year and a half go by. COVID hits, I'm licking my wounds, I start another business, and long story short, I went back and I bought MoviePass back out of bankruptcy 
And now we're relaunching the service. And that ties in to another project that you're working on right now. You just released a book that's available on bookstores now called Black Founder, The Hidden Power of Being an Outsider. Stacy, you've been in the film industry, I think, since the mid-90s, working on the studio side, working on innovations. You're also an, an entrepreneur, and that's a big part of your identity. And you know how difficult it is to get funding. And especially, let's not sugarcoat it, as an African-American man working in an industry like cinema, you have challenges that a lot of other folks in this space might not be faced with. Could you go over that experience in making sure that entrepreneurial drive is still part of who you are and how that really influenced you to come back and revisit the MoviePass experience and hopefully get it right the second time after a difficult first time out? Yeah, that's a great point. Thanks for mentioning the book. You know, I wrote it because I really believe that I wanted to inspire young people who are maybe looking at me as an example to say, you can do this too. You know, when I was in high school, I was reading Richard Branson's Virgin King. I was reading books like David Geffen's Rise and Rise of David Geffen. And those entrepreneurs inspired me in my world. I remember also reading Sumner Redstone's book, another great one. I will get to the answer to the question you asked me, but uh, the other the other great one is Sam Spiegel's book, who was the executive producer of Lawrence of Arabia. And just, you know, getting... So these were the things that when I was in high school, I was reading this stuff. And so I felt it was really important. And to your point, there's not a lot of people of color who are either at the helm of, of movie theaters. There's no ownership there. Our studios are green lighting. And so you run into that challenge and then you run into the challenge of, in this country, only around one to 3% of all venture capital go to founders of color or women. And so part of the reason we ran into trouble and had to offer to sell and get outside capital was because we couldn't get the funding, even though MoviePass had built a brand and was very successful. And those uh, guys who came in were able to raise nearly a quarter of a billion dollars on the same company just a couple of months later. And it just shows you the disparity that was there. But being an entrepreneur, you persevere and you just keep going no matter what. You build something great because you believe in it. And I believe in movie going as the highest form of entertainment that human beings have ever created. Now, you had an opportunity that I think a lot of founders would love to have of creating something, helping turn it into a brand, and after things so go south, be able to come back and give it another shot. Now, I'm not speaking out of personal experience, but getting back together with an ex, not always the best idea, right? <laughs> Sometimes you don't always get the Godfather part two. Sometimes you just have to stick with the original. So Stacy, understanding this, you're coming back with MoviePass, a brand that is, I think, has still positive experiences from moviegoers. I think that's one of the things that we've been talking about since you relaunched this. A lot of moviegoers still reach out to you and still have a positive association with the brand. But our audience, exhibitors, not all of them might have a positive association with the MoviePass experience and how things ended. What sort of message do you have for them as you're coming back into something that maybe some folks in the industry at movie theaters might still be apprehensive to sign up on? 
Yeah. So going back to, you know, I grew up in the industry, literally, it was, you know, video stores were relatively new, but being at theaters and video stores and growing up and then getting a chance to work in the industry that, you know, this is my lifeblood. And so it, it means a lot more to me. What happened with these guys who came in who were not from our industry and were, you know, banking and had a different perspective was very unfortunate on a lot of levels. When we looked to buy Movie Pass back, one of the things that I did was I made sure to do a listening tour and went to exhibitors. I went to ICA. I went to NATO. I called everyone. And that's how I'm a little bit different. We're an open door. We're here to help. We're here to work with everybody. We believe that cinema needs a software upgrade and there's some technological advantages that we can lean into that we don't have that other industries do. And I'm trying to have us stay competitive to streaming platforms and others. So I think it's different. I think people never had a problem with me and my co-founder. They largely had a problem with Mitch and Ted and how they behaved. And you know what? Those guys are gone and we're back to the fact of the matter is the company was valued very heavily when we were exiting. And so consumers had a great experience. Studios had a great experience. The theaters got the short end of the stick with Mitch and Ted, but I'm back at the helm and give them my guarantee that those things aren't going to happen here. Now, part of that listening tour, I think, is very interesting because, as you mentioned, you not only went to the major studios, and I was part of some of these meetings, by the way, in the background. I was there when you spoke to the Independent Cinema Alliance and the independent exhibitors. You didn't get any softball questions in that conversation. So those folks that didn't get a chance to interact and ask you some of those concerns, some of those questions, maybe you could raise some of those for us. What have been some of the main questions and concerns that you have been getting from exhibitors in this relaunch process? Yeah. So the concerns back then were customer service, making sure that customers are going to be taken care of and responded to, that the theaters wouldn't be left holding the bag. They were running a business model that was not financially stable and couldn't be supported. So they left some people hanging. And then the other aspect was just knowing how we would interact with them. Would they be able to play a role in what's the service going to look like? And that's why this time around, it's much more of a marketplace where there's a lot more interactivity. So we're trying to build that the exhibitors will have dashboards that they'll be able to actually control the levers. So a big difference before the last time and this time was it was kind of one price I'm going to use uh, credits as a metaphor here, but imagine you paid one price and you got 30 credits and it didn't matter if you went to a major chain or an independent, it was one credit per movie. So it really made it hard for the smaller guy to compete with the big guy. Now, one of the things disproportionately we found was movie pass really changed the game for independent films and independent theaters. We, for whatever reason, we just tended to over-index in those categories. And so with this time around, what we've done is we said, okay, that person still gets those 30 credits, but now maybe it's 15 credits at a major, but the exhibitor could say, I'm going to make mine seven credits. 
And that way they can draw traffic in, they can operate and do, you know, offer variable pricing and dynamic pricing. Those times when a movie is soft or it's slow in the theater, they can drive more traffic that way. That was part of the feedback loop that we heard from them. And we took technology and we were able to build that out because of the questions and the things that we got on that listening tour. So everything people ask within our capability, we actually built into the new service. And let's go over what that new service looks like, because of course, I think a lot of our listeners might have an idea of their MoviePass experience, but you did retool things, including the price point, before you went on your beta launch. So let's go into that concept. How does MoviePass work today? Sure. So the old version is one price and one plan. The new version is four plans. So we tiered it and I'm going to, I'm going to round off because different markets have slightly different. So I'm going to say 10, 20, 30, 40 for simplicity. And if I do $10 a month, I'm going to get up to three movies. If I do $20, I'm going to go up to five, $30, I'm going to go up to seven. And then $40, I have the classic unlimited. Like that's a general idea. Now in that, we are able to then allow the theaters to move the number of credits that they can use or that the consumer can use. So if a theater doesn't want to lower the number of credits on a Friday or Saturday night on opening weekend, they don't have to. But if during the middle of the week, it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and they do want to drive traffic, there's the ability to do that. You couldn't do that the last time. So we had tiered systems. We have dynamic pricing capability. And the best analogy I would say to what this is akin to is look at us as an Airbnb or an Expedia for travel, whether you run in a hotel or bed and breakfast. Now you have this software layer that allows you to somewhat communicate with the customer. So think of the movie is the city that they want to go to or the tourist destination. Your theater is the hotel they're going to stay in. And then you have the consumer who's kind of shopping. And what makes the shopping different in our business is you're usually offering the same movie at many different locations in the same city. So what's going to set you apart? Quality, service, price. And now we're giving the capability in that feedback loop to those partners. So a non-partner theater, the consumer has to go to the theater, check in, and magnetically swipe a card. So that means that, it, a that partner, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, just to clarify, yep. a MoviePass user can use that MoviePass card at any theater. But there is a difference if they use it for a theater that is a partner theater of MoviePass. Correct. If you're a partner theater, we've plugged, all that means is we plug the API back in that the customer can go into the app, see your seating chart, select a seat, and a QR code is sent to them, and your tick that ticket is paid for on the back end. But for the consumer experience, it's they can be at home, select a seat, and it's flawless. So we've already seen if a theater is plugged into the API, there's a 30% higher conversion rate for partner theaters versus non-partners, just in the simple fact, the person doesn't want to go all the way down to the theater and find out it might be sold out 
or at least the good seats where they want to be are not available. And there's just the first two rows down front. So what we've found is it's more advantageous to be a partner. There's no cost difference. It actually doesn't cost anything to be able to do that. We just activate and plug in to whoever the ticketing, I forgot what you use the term. But the, um, thank you. Thank you. That was the word I was looking for. It's a POS system that they're plugged into. We just hook that back end up and that's it. It doesn't cost anything. Which partners are you currently working with that you can share with our audience? Yeah, I will do a terrible job of trying to remember everyone's names, but I'll try and remember a few. But there's Studio Movie Grill, there's Look Cinemas, there's uh, Sinopolis, there's Goodrich, there's B&B. So 25% of all of the theaters we've done partners with, we're on track to hit 40% of the whole universe. And so minus, say, AMC, Regal, and Cinemark, the rest of that universe, we're approaching, say, 40% of that. So we're very excited about that. We're you know running as fast as we can to get everybody hooked up, but we're thrilled. This wasn't the way it was 2016, 2017. There just wasn't the openness to it. And the way we look at ourselves is the consumer sees the same meal being served at multiple restaurants and they're making a decision based on how far is that away from me? And is this one starting in 30 minutes and that one starting in 10 minutes, right? And so they're really deciding uh, last minute. There's not a heavy amount of long range planning. It's usually day of. And so for what we see is most of the consumers want a I can go anywhere option. I can go to 100% of theaters. I can still have my loyalty plan at any of those theaters because the system can't tell the difference between it's your own personal card or a debit card or a movie pass card. It doesn't matter how you pay. You still get points at your loyalty wherever that is. And so that's the one advantage that movie pass is Switzerland and you can go wherever you want. And um well, it's a fintech solution. I would actually say this iteration seems a lot more like a fintech alternative yeah. as opposed to an out-and-out subscription slash loyalty combo that you might see being white-labeled for cinema. Absolutely. And I think if you can only go to one circuit, really what that is, is that's a loyalty program where the more you go, the more you'll get discounts. And if you're going to pay up front, I'm also give you a discount. But that if you can only go to one, that's just a loyalty program. If you can go anywhere in the ecosystem, then you actually have a real subscription platform that services at least you know a large portion, if not 100% of all theaters. Now, you brought up something a little bit ago, and that were the major circuits. And again, one of the other big, big, big differences in subscription for cinemas today and where it was in 2016, 2017 is that all four top circuits in the United States have their own subscription program, and it's a big part of their business today. For the consumer, Stacy, would it make sense for them to have two subscription programs, meaning MoviePass and their regular major circuit subscription plan? How do you navigate this competitive landscape? Because you were operating on virgin territory for nearly a decade when you started out. That's not the case today. 
Yeah, very good question, Daniel. So we don't see the products as the same. Again, I think it's, we did a lot of research around coming back and the fundamental difference is if you want to go multiple places, if the prices are the same and that's important to you, you're going to pick something like a movie pass. If you are rural or you really just got one theater near your house, you'll pick one of the big four and that's all you're going to do. But in our research, we found that the average moviegoer goes to three different types of theaters. So there's what I'll call the very large format, big event picture that they want to see on and, you know, Avatar or, you know, Top Gun or something like that. Then in the middle, you have, okay, I don't really care where I go. I just want to go out. I want to see, just see something. And I'm going to see it in 2D. I don't care about 3D or anything. And then you have the art house where in New York, I'm going to Angelica, I'm going to IFC, I'm going to Film Forum, I'm going to the Quad. So all of that type of choice, you won't get with a single player. And so we found that people love that last minute variety, that that is a premium that they like and would prefer. If you are a person that you are a very big super user and you're going to go 12 times a month, an AMC or Regal plan maybe is what you prefer. So there is difference in the marketplace. And we ran a national poll and we found 75% of moviegoers said they would prefer a universal plan versus one that was single operator. And as you relaunched the service, you've also made a concentrated decision in not going too fast, too quickly. I think that's a, a mistake that happened last time. I think we would all agree on that. This time around, you relaunched with only three test markets, three beta markets. That was Dallas, Kansas City, and what was the third one? Chicago. And Chicago. Important demographic areas. Two of them, I think there might be major exhibition circuits based on those cities. I don't know if that's a coincidence or not, but okay, fine. Those are the three cities you start off with. The beta version is now nationwide. We'll go into that in a little bit, but I want to tackle those lessons from those first three markets that you tested this out on. You wanted to make sure you took things week by week, weekend by weekend, title by title. What were the main observations from that beta launch? So one of the things people know about me is I have a quant background and I really love doing it from a digital perspective and letting the data speak to you. So what we did was when we opened up the waiting list because we wanted to measure what level of interest there was, we had over 800,000 people sign up for the wait list in just over four days. When we looked at the list, we looked at it per capita and we looked at how big the demand was in those markets, and we weighted that. And then we looked at where we started to see partners lining up and how fast we could get them done. One of the first one was BNB. BNB's headquartered in Kansas City. So to give you an example, we specifically chose to start where we had those partners lined up. So 60% of the Kansas City market we have partnerships on the ground there. And so it only makes sense to start where those were. 
And that's how those markets got chosen. And among those people asking if you picked markets like Kansas City, where I believe AMC is headquartered, Dallas, where Cinemark is headquartered, and Chicago, which isn't too far away from where Marcus Theaters is headquartered. Yeah, we, we asked that question. But you're saying that you these were markets that maybe didn't have that as a main reason of why you picked them. You actually had exhibitor partnerships in those markets to begin with, and they weren't really rural areas. These are cities that have enough of a diversity in terms of movie-going options for you to get data from. Absolutely. So the way those markets came up was, from a data perspective, we had two criterias. One, based on the wait list, where people actually signed up for the wait list. And then the second one was to overlap that with where we actually saw the theater partners that signed up with us. And so we took those two. And so, for example, in the Kansas City market, I think 50 or 60% of the theaters are partners in just that market alone. So that's actually how that got done. It just happened to fall in line with those three circuits that you mentioned. So what was it about that beta program that inspired you to feel confident enough to expand the beta nationwide this week? Yeah, so we went all the way up to 10 markets, getting the kinks worked out. I'd say the biggest thing that we were was the transition from consumers not needing to think about how to use credits to needing to think about how to use credits. And so that was where the back end, the fintech, portion that you mentioned, none of that really changed, but it all had a lot to do with, oh, wait, do I go to the theater and swipe the card? Do I do this? Do I do that? Right. It was getting how we're going to message the learning of how to use the different pieces of the system. That was where we were taking our time to make sure we got that right. You did mention that you initially had conversations with some of the chief executives of the top circuits. How were relations there? I I have to ask because I know that was a big tension point in how things ended. Are things a little bit better or is it just separate tracks? You know, I have always had an open door policy when Jerry Lopez was running AMC. I made regular trips to there with Amy Miles. Like, you know, I've always made a point to make sure that I went to see people. Then when HMMY took over, they had a very adversarial relationship, which we never had. When I knew that I was buying Movie Pass back, I gave Adam a call. I gave Mookie a call. I gave Mark Zarati, who was sitting in the chair at the time, a call. I did talk to Regal. I did talk to Cinemark. I never heard back from Adam. But it's not that I didn't reach out or try and make a point. We as you saw on several of the meetings, we went out of our way. ICA invited us down to their board meeting. We've done presentations to them directly. We met with NATO. So I never want an exhibitor to say, you never reached out to me and you never tried. It's different if they don't want to work with us and they don't want to. We're a software company. We're not a competitor. We're not in the theater business. So our only job is to help drive traffic to them. I look at it very similar to the way on ticketing, you have Fandango, Movie Tickets, Adam Tickets, Google, all of these people driving traffic to your theater, whether I'm a subscriber or not, you could choose to make it harder for them to come spend money at your theater, but you're only giving your competitor an advantage is the way we see it. 
so the door is open of for course. any and every circuit movie theater to reach out and and have that discussion. I think that's an important part of the exhibitor relations challenge, of course, as we look at this new iteration, this new chapter in the movie pass story. Another big part of that is related to customer service. I know that before that HMNY presence, customer service was a big part of what you prided yourself on as chief executive at MoviePass. But there were some snafus, to put it lightly, during that past. How is your approach now in relaunching MoviePass in making sure to incorporate enough of a customer service component both for the consumer and for the exhibitor. Yeah, customer service comes first. Um, on Christmas Day, I was even in the uh, chat rooms answering live customer service questions. It's part of our company culture. We have everybody spend time there to understand that that's the most important thing. And so that's always been a way that we operated. I think that's what made the brand so strong. Once HMNY came in, they really threw that playbook out and made it very difficult to contact the company and do things like that. So that's not the culture we practice. And we pride ourselves on being able to deliver best-in-class service out there. And I think one of the last sort of operational curiosities or questions that I have in the relaunch is we talk about the big differences in the industry from 2016 to today. It's just the rise of these premium formats, premium auditoriums, you went from having a standard ticket price to have multiple price points in different auditoriums within the same complex. How has MoviePass handled this situation? Are premium formats part of the credit system? Or how can exhibitors work with you guys to make sure audiences don't get alienated saying they want to see, for example, Avatar 2 in a specific premium format but their movie pass subscription might not get them there. Yep, great question. So we've got that roadmap. That was an early thing that the exhibitor had mentioned to us as well. So the way that the points will work is you'll have the capability. So let's say I'll go back to my 30 credits in a month scenario. So maybe I want to go see that on IMAX or RPX or premium format. I'll be able to use more credits to be able to do that. So I can throttle that up. And we are also making it possible that mid-month, let's say you used up all of your credits, you would be able to buy more if you'd like. So that is on the roadmap and will be coming. We wanted to first get the 2D system back up, which is what the old system was, and then start adding new features afterwards. Do you have a timeline on when beta is going to finish and you're just going to go live for everyone and anyone that wants to come in? I can tell you the goal is to be fully open 100% before the summer. So the way we are planning it, it was go through Christmas in a small group and then make sure you got, because that was our first stress test period. We didn't know how would Avatar crush us? Would we get hammered with Black Panther and Avatar? Went through both of those pretty smoothly. Did find some things we needed to work out. Now it's a little bit of a lull. Get those kinks worked out and then be ready and fully open. So we'll be nationwide having people have tested for a month or two in all markets and then fully open it up in time for summer. So I, I mean, it's like April, May you know, at the latest. Okay. 
It's interesting because in the last iteration, after the quote unquote limited time offer got a lot of folks in, it was the end of the summer when Mission Impossible Fallout came out and Tom Cruise killed that version of MoviePass. You've got another Mission Impossible coming up at the end of the summer, man. I mean, Tom Cruise is coming bigger than ever, but you're telling me you're ready. You've got everything set in place. You can tackle that. Yeah, we just went through Avatar at $2 billion. So believe me, when that old model, it had nothing to do with Tom Cruise. It had to do with a $10 ticket price (laughs) that just was not sustainable. Tom didn't need to work hard to be able to put the old movie pass out of business with that one. (laughs) Well, Stacey, thank you very much for joining us today. Are there any other messages you want to share with our audience of exhibitors uh, here on the podcast? You know, I think one of the things that I, you know, haven't had the platform to really talk about, but I do talk about it in the book is I start talking about asking questions about the future of cinema. What's it going to look like in 20, 30 years? Are we leaving an industry for our kids and grandkids that's better than we found it? Are we staying competitive? And I think one of the things that I want to take the opportunity to say directly to exhibition is really that we start focusing on frequency as much as we focus on an incremental spend. It's really important as an industry that we get young people back in the habit of going to the movies. And once you establish a habit, It's easier to keep a customer than to try and acquire one. And I think we took the eye off the ball that we started focusing on the older customer and getting them to spend more. And I think we lost sight of the younger customer and just getting them in the habit of coming often. And the other thing that I would like to throw out there is if as an industry, we reach 30% subscriber growth across the whole industry we can actually double the size of annual box office. We've seen over our 10 years that if a person becomes a subscriber of any kind at any level, they will double their behavior. And if you get the biggest moviegoers, just 30% of them to become subscribers, we could look at an 18 to $20 billion annual box office. So those are the two things I'd like to leave behind. I think those are not things that are just movie pass goals. I think those are industry goals that we need to focus on. And if we're rowing in the same direction, I think we'll all win and really put movie going back at the top as the preeminent form of entertainment out there versus just staying at home and watching things on a very small device that's about two post-its wide versus something that's seven stories. Oh, absolutely. Stacy, thank you very much for joining us. That is Stacy Spikes, the co-founder and CEO of MoviePass and the author of Black Founder, The Hidden Power of Being an Outsider, available now in bookstores. Thanks again for joining us. And uh, yeah, we're excited to see how this develops in the coming weeks and months. Thank you, Daniel. Have a great weekend. And that concludes this week's edition of the Box Office Podcast. Thanks again for listening to us. The Box Office Podcast is produced by Box Office Pro in collaboration with The Box Office Company and Record Edit Podcast. New episodes every Thursday. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, like, share, and we will see you again next week.